Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, based on the stuff that I watched, my co-host asked if I was trying to steal his identity. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. Or am I? No, I am. Uh, One of my favorite shows of recent years kicks off its final season this week, and I'll review Ben Affleck's Air. Plus... This week, we got a lot of big news from Star Wars, including a return to the big screen. Indy! Give him hell, Indiana Jones! A few times in my life, I've seen things. I've been tortured with voodoo. Been shot nine times, including once by your father. Ah, sorry! I've been looking for this all my life. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The new trailer was revealed. It was actually revealed at the Star Wars celebration, which we're going to be talking about over in Europe. The fifth Indiana Jones movie, presumably Harrison Ford's final journey as the whip-cracking archaeologist adventure. Jeff, I assume you got excited when you saw the trailer? Yeah, I did uh, I did get excited about uh, seeing this trailer. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, who plays his goddaughter or something, uh, revealed in the trailer to sort of be kind of a bad guy, but probably not in the end a bad guy, but seems to betray him early in the movie, I would guess, and then they have to team up kind of thing. So that was kind of an interesting dynamic they put forth there, and uh, I love all the flashback stuff they show in both these trailers for, like, young Indian, not not young Indiana Jones, like River Phoenix young, yes. but uh, <laughs> regular 80s, 1980s aged Harrison Ford, uh, and now whatever they're doing with the de-aging, they got a lot of footage of him in the past to draw from, and it looks, if it's just as de-aging tricks, it looks looks much better than we've seen other movies try to do it, like uh, that Scorsese movie when they were doing it with Robert De Niro. That did not look very good at all. It looks, whatever movie magic tricks they're using here look really good, so I'm excited about it. Well, and we, we saw that even with the Luke Skywalker, the yeah. young Luke Skywalker in season two of The Mandalorian. looked okay, but it, it looked weird. And then just some guy on the internet uses this deep fake technology to get it right. So maybe the movies have finally decided, okay, whatever we're doing isn't working, so let's do what the yeah. internet is doing. But yeah, it looks pretty cool. And uh, I'm ex- I'm super excited about it. And depending where you turn, there have been all kinds of weird rumors about multiple endings having been shot and they're you know tr- scrambling to do reshoots to try to, because the test scores have been brutal. I heard one rumor that they were going to use the dial of destiny to go back in time and Indiana Jones would essentially be erased from existence. And then, uh, uh, what's her name? The Phoebe Waller bridge. Thank you very much. Fleabag. She would essentially take up the mantle of Indiana Jones or, or a reasonable facsimile thereof. If that is the case, I'm sure it's just a wild rumor, but if that's the case, (laughs) That is insane, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I hopefully he goes out, goes out swinging in this. So that comes out on June thirtieth. Very excited. About That's it, interesting. Jones. And uh, this is a very weird piece of trivia I'm about to drop on you. The director James Mangold. He made a movie twenty years ago uh, called Kate and Leopold with Meg Ryan and uh, Wolverine. And there's a deleted scene from that movie of him, James Mangold, playing a film director 
in the movie that he cut himself out of it, where he does this diatribe about how focus groups are destroying cinema in America. Really? Yeah. So if they're rejigging the whole ending of this Indiana Jones movie on the basis of uh, focus groups, uh, I can't imagine he's very pleased by that at all. So, But again, like you said, all this stuff is rumors. So we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Oh, that's amazing. Well, and hey, speaking of James Mangold, he was front and center with some of the biggest news that came out of the Star Wars celebration because they have finally committed to three new movies because they've been talking. They, the, the guys from Game of Thrones were supposed to do a trilogy and Ryan Johnson's supposed to do a trilogy and Taika Waititi maybe is going to do a Star Wars movie. So there, there were the, the Game of Thrones guys, they're out. The Ryan Johnson trilogy is still up in the air. But they did confirm three new movies, including one helmed by James Mangold. So his movie's going to go back to the dawn of the Jedi, which is interesting, like the very first Force Wielder. So this is pre-prequels. Yeah. This will be the, as far as we're concerned, the beginning of the entire Star Wars saga. For, yeah, tw- like apparently 25,000 years oh my God. before the stuff that we know today. So maybe there'll be a baby Yoda in it that'll be actual Yoda. <laughs> I guess he was only 900 years old, right? So. <laughs> Still, you know, if you by actually, if it would probably really only be 25 generations. Yeah, there you go. It would be there's just the 20, my great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> uh, Dave Filoni, meanwhile, is also going to get a movie. His will focus on the New Republic. So it's going to close out the interconnected stories told in The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett. Ahsoka, and other Disney Plus series, and we'll talk more about Ahsoka in a moment. But that's interesting. We don't actually have any dates for these yet. I mean, we can assume that the first one's got to be at least 2025, and I believe the first one is going to be set after the events of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, and it features Daisy Ridley returning as Rey. It's set, I think, 15 years after the Rise of Skywalker, and she's going to be building a new Jedi Order. So I think that's cool, uh, and we can talk about that in a minute. But the the fact that the this Filoni movie is going to close all these shows out, that's interesting to know because it means that there will be a finish line for shows like The Mandalorian. Hmm. Uh, which, by the way, Mandalorian this week, did you watch it yesterday? No, I'm too behind on that. Okay. So the seventh episode... I think I may have mentioned that it had nine episodes this season. I can't remember where I heard that, but I was clearly wrong because the season finale is next week. But the seventh episode was really good. But in general, I'm seeing a, like a lot of disappointment in season three. I've mostly enjoyed it. I will say the the sixth episode was it was fun, but it was kind of stupid, and it just left me thinking like, when are you? When are we going to get on with this here? Hmm. I've been enjoying it up until I've. Like I said, I'm too, but I guess I've seen five. So I, I've been enjoying it, but, and I don't, I'm sure I've said many times, I mean, like pleasing Star Wars fans is just an impossible task. So yeah. you're always, I'm not surprised you've seen people who don't like it. So, well, and especially in today's culture of going out of your way to show that you just hate stuff. Like there's a, there's yeah. a faction of people who hate it just because it's Disney. Yep, and there's also a lot of people who just, in general, it's uh, if it's not the best thing they've ever seen, then the only other answer is it has to be the worst. There's, for whatever reason, people refuse to say it's in the middle of anything, which most stuff is in the middle, so yeah. I don't get that at all. I will say, though, when I was reading a couple of, of uh, articles on this that were a bit more thoughtful than, this sucks! <laughs> uh, and, and they made some good points. It, it, it 
that the seventh episode finally felt like it was a show about the Mandalorian again, Din Djarin and Grogu, because those two have largely kind of taken a back seat. As we, it's been more about Bo-Katan Kryze, which is fine. I, I, I've enjoyed the stories, but it would be nice to get back to focusing more on the show's protagonist. So hopefully they stick the landing with the season finale. But with the the new Daisy Ridley movie coming back as Ray. Uh, I, I'm kind of excited by that. Me too, and I think she deserves uh, another shot after because nobody liked, including us, the the Rise of Skywalker it was not a very good movie, and it was too bad her trilogy ended like that. So I'm glad she gets to do another one. And on the television show front, and we mentioned Ahsoka, they released the first teaser trailer for that. It's been a while. Things have changed. started hearing whispers about Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. We have to prepare for the worst. The Jedi fell a long time ago. There aren't many left. So Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano, she is a huge character in the Clone Wars cartoon, in Star Wars Rebels. In live action, we've only seen her a couple of times. She popped up in The Mandalorian Season 2. She popped up in The Book of Boba Fett. Rosario Dawson doing a great job playing this this character. But I feel like this television show might be the hardest one for people to to get into in the sense of they don't, might not know anything about the protagonist. There are some characters who are going to be appearing in live action for the first time from Star Wars Rebels. So they're going to be introducing a whole element of stuff that I'm curious to know if they're going to be able to do it without you having to know who they are. Well, I'll let you know because <laughs> I, that's the exact same boat I'm in. So <laughs> we'll find out. I, I'm looking forward to it, though. I just, I uh, mean... Have you ever seen Rosaria Dawson in something and said, well, she was terrible in that? No, no. She's awesome. Yeah, she's great. And Ahsoka's tremendous. And she's got two two lightsabers. So she looks extra cool. And they're white, which is kind of neat. We don't really, we often don't see uh, bright white lightsabers. So that's coming in August. So all kinds of Star Wars. There was way more stuff that came out of the celebration. But we don't have time to talk about all that. Because up next, we got to talk about one of Jeff's favorite shows, which is getting ready to begin it's final run. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the fifth and final season of one of my favorite shows, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, debuts this weekend on Prime Video. What drives Midge Maisel? I want a big life. I want to break every single rule there is. Oh, boy, I'm lucky. This Mrs. Maisel, you say everything I think. Terrifying connection. You seem to be experiencing very bad luck. I don't know about that. Ah, too much talking. Boy, are you in the wrong family, kid. <laughs> 
Prime Video sent me eight of the nine episodes of the fifth and final season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I've watched just one, partly out of laziness, but frankly, mostly because I want to savor the last stretch of one of my favorite shows of recent years. There won't be any more after this, and I didn't want to tear through it all at once. Also, the episodes are long. They're nearly an hour each, and they're really dense. There's a lot of fast talking, like the kid in the clip just said. And frankly, after each episode, I'm kind of exhausted, so binging just doesn't work for this show for me anyways. If you've never heard of it, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a mostly a comedy, but also kind of a drama that follows the life of Midge Maisel in the late 1950s and now early 1960s as she navigates her life and career as a stand-up comedian in New York City. She was breaking barriers because it was even more of a man's game back then than it is now. Helping her out is her loyal and uh, comically poor manager, Susie. And Midge has a family as well. She's got parents, kids, an ex-husband, ex-in-laws. The cast is superb, led by Rachel Brosnahan and Alex Borstein, as well as uh, you know, Tony Shalhoub's in it, and he always steals whatever scenes he's in in whatever show he's in. It comes to us from Amy Sherman Palladino. She's had a long TV career. I suppose she's mostly known for being the creative force behind the Gilmore Girls. And judging from the one episode I've seen, this final season should be pretty great. Hasn't lost a step. The opening scene was a little jarring. I'll leave that as a surprise. But after that, the show kind of falls back into familiar territory. Alex Borstein continues to absolutely crush it as the Midge's manager, Susie, and the direction of the season has the two of them looking to get Midge's career back on track, hopefully getting a boost as a writer for a late night talk show, which at the time uh, those shows didn't have any women writers. So she'd be breaking another barrier there. There are some other revelations involving some of the supporting cast, including a major development for her ex-husband, Joel. Uh, he's always been the weak spot in the show, as far as I'm concerned. And the thing that happens with him does not feel like natural character or story development, so much as it feels like a cop-out, sort of a, we've got to have him be in this position, so we're going to do this to make it so, even if it drastically alters the direction he was going. It's not great, but again, I don't much care what happens to Joel, so it didn't bother me that much. It uh, The show is still one of the best-looking shows on television, period. There's a scene at an airport, and the set design is just spectacular. You really feel like most of their budget goes to set decoration and uh, renting and cleaning up old cars and the costumes of the period. It's just a feast for the eyes, especially if you like the 50s and 60s. Uh, it's just great to have it back. It's firing on all cylinders from the jump. I can't wait to see how they end this series. It debuts Friday on Prime Video, and for what it's worth, I would recommend re-watching the season four finale again, or at least uh, re reading a thorough recap of it to get back up to speed because the season opener comes right in the immediate aftermath of that. So that's out this weekend. It's not the only one of my favorite comedies that's debuting its uh, season premiere for its final season. Barry over on HBO on Sunday night kicks off its fourth and final season. Not sure what they have in... Uh, up for us in store there. I don't even want to talk about it at all because it's a very kind of a cumulative show and to even set up season four, I think, is to really put spoilers for the first three seasons into it. So if you like Barry, you must be excited because it is one of the best shows on TV along with The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So between these two shows and Succession now in its final run, uh, there's a lot of really good TV that's going to be off the air before summer this year, which is kind of a bummer. But uh, I don't know. We said this every few years. Oh, my God, all the good shows are ending. And of course, uh, eventually they'll be replaced by more good shows. 
couple of quick things on on that stuff. One of them on Succession. I'll mention that in a, in a moment. But eight of the, so they sent you eight of the nine episodes. So yep. what the idea is that you watch the the first eight and then you got to wait nine weeks for the finale. Yeah, I guess so. Some critics will do that, but uh, not the couch potatoes. We don't roll like that. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I did that once when Disney sent I think three episodes of uh, WandaVision or something, and yes. it was cool. But then I had to wait three weeks. So it was a bummer. Yeah, I, I didn't. I I'll just take the one uh, per week. And then you mentioned Succession. We can't discuss what happened in episode three, but it was surprising and it was beyond excellent. It will be spoken about in the future in the same sentence as uh, Breaking Bad's Ozymandias and Game of Thrones' Red Wedding and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was a Hall of Fame episode. Yeah, it has the potential to be the the best episode of television this year, among the best, uh, because, and I, oddly enough, it was the third episode of the HBO series. And The Last of Us, season one, episode three, was also one of my favorite episodes. That was the sort of one-off, kind of almost self-contained That's interesting. love story. So I don't know if there's something about the third episodes on HBO. In- oh, and by the way, HBO Max and Discovery merged or whatever. Now it's just Max. Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there. I don't think anybody knows what's going on over there. The president tried to apparently kick Clint Eastwood off the lot for the first time in 50 years and... But now I think they're going to let him make one last movie or something like that. <laughs> okay. I don't know. So, I mean, throwing shade at Clint Eastwood if you're the boss at H- at uh, Warner Brothers is crazy. Wow. That's <laughs> lunacy. Up next, we are taking to the air, and then we are going to learn about the night agent. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I went to the movies this week to watch Ben Affleck's Air. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down. Our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Air stars Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jason Bateman, and Viola Davis. It's a docudrama of the creation of Nike's incredibly popular Air Jordan line of basketball shoes. And it's about how the company got into business with Michael Jordan. I'll say up front, my girlfriend hates sports, doesn't know about sports, doesn't care about Nike or their shoes. And she really liked the movie, so you can't use the I'm not into sports as an excuse not to see it. Non-sports people enjoy it as well. Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro, a guy hired by Nike boss Phil Knight, played by Affleck, to boost their basketball shoe division. The year is 1984, and they are running a distant third to Adidas and Converse Converse in that uh, regard. Bateman's in charge of marketing, and the main way the game has been played to this point is to give a star like Larry Bird a bunch of money to wear the company's shoes 
shoes. Nike doesn't have the budget to do as much as that sort of thing as the other shoe companies, so they can't get big marquee players. Even Michael Jordan, who's about to be drafted by the Chicago Bulls, is almost certainly going to go to Adidas or Converse. He's literally said he has no interest in Nike. It's a non-starter. Until Damon decides MJ is their guy, and then the movie follows him chasing Jordan. Well, Jordan's mom, played by Viola Davis, because she runs the show in the Jordan family. Sonny goes to their research and development guy at Nike, uh, Peter Moore, played by the great character actor Matthew Mayer, who was hilarious last year in the pirate show, Our Flag Means Death. He's hilarious here as well. Sonny tells him, create the best shoe ever, and he comes up with the Air Jordan. History is made. Uh, we, of course, know how this all goes, but, you know, like the movie Apollo 13, knowing the outcome doesn't diminish the movie at all. There are a bunch of other twists and turns along the way with the marketing, with slogans and titles, and uh, MJ's agent, played by Chris Messina, who's a thorn in everyone's side. Chris Tucker plays another Nike executive. I really used to dislike him, but he's fantastic in this. He steals his scenes, and even though he, you know, he's got that Chris Tucker vibe, I, I just didn't find him annoying like I used to find him. He's funny, but there's something also very human about him. He's not just some weird cartoon character like I used to feel he was uh, dancing through a movie. The whole movie's funny. I, I don't think it's technically a comedy, but I would bet that it gets a Golden Globe nomination in that musical or comedy category, just like uh, The Martian did a few years ago, and that was way more serious than this. I, I do feel like I'll be re-watching this movie a lot in the years ahead. It's an Amazon Studios movie, so I assume it'll be streaming on Prime Video in the near future, and it's a light watch. It's very entertaining. There's no, quote-unquote, bad guy. It's just a, a good vibe of a movie. It's just, it's just fun. I mentioned last week that uh, in addition to Damon and Affleck acting in the movie that Affleck, uh, you know, was directing it. Uh, I also mentioned that they co-wrote it with another guy, and I was being too glib about that other guy. His name is Alex Convery, and he gets sole writing credit for this movie. Apparently, Matt and Ben did do a bunch of rewrites, uh, but they didn't get a co-writing credit. I don't know if they declined it or if it was a Writers Guild thing. Apparently, the Writers Guild is kind of loath to give a writing credit to a director if the director didn't uh, invent it all from scratch. I think that might have been the issue. I don't know. Anyways, this other guy, uh, Alex Convery, is uh, credited as the writer for this movie. Just wanted to get that straight for the record. The style of the movie visually is quite a bit different than Argo or The Town, some of Affleck's other great movies. It's uh, He's kind of refreshingly not becoming a director whose movies all look the same. I mean, I love Tarantino and Scorsese and the Coen brothers, but their styles are all, they're all singular and draw attention to themselves, but all their movies look exactly the same pretty much, which is fine in their cases because they are masters of the form, but it's also nice to have a guy make movies that can certainly have some style, but that you aren't distracted by the flair. You're just absorbed by the story. I will say he uses a lot of extreme close-ups that uh, more than one person have told me they found odd. Matt and Ben also share a few scenes, and like I mentioned last week, there's kind of a nostalgia factor to that. Now, having watched these guys on their Hollywood adventure for the past 25-plus years, there's also a lot of nostalgia for the 80s in this movie. It uh, looks like the 80s just barfed all over everything. It's a fun movie, well worth the watch. I really dug it. Four couch cushions out of five for air, which is in theaters now, and I would just point out that it occurred to me this movie air the super mario brothers movie that tetris movie dungeons and dragons all in the last two weeks like the 80s are officially the movie trend of this spring or something like that is wow. that weird that is weird yeah and super mario by the way just Crushing smashing it. the box office it had a huge 
uh, open and just pulling up boxofficemojo.com. I went to the theaters twice this week. Uh, we'll get to the other thing I saw later in the show, and both times just flooded with families coming out of Super Mario Brothers, and everyone looked happy. I'd seen some other some tweets and things like that of parents complaining there weren't enough good family movies in theaters lately, so that's why everyone's been flocking to Mario. Oh, yeah? Okay. $240 million so far domestic. Worldwide, $427 million. So this movie looks like it's poised to make a lot, a lot of money. What Yeesh. else did you watch this week? Over on Netflix, I finished watching their late uh, the new series called the, the Night Agent. Have you ever heard of night action? It's a top-secret investigative program within the FBI. So you want me to be a night agent? God, no. I want you to answer the phone for them. It rarely rings. Yes, go ahead. I'm in danger. There's intruders. What do I do? It's going to be all right. I'm on my way. The Night Agent comes from Sean Ryan, the man behind the show, The Shield, and other cop-type shows. It stars Gabriel Brasso as Peter Sutherland. I've never seen this guy before, but he's been in stuff. You may recognize him. Same with his co-star, the lady we heard on the phone there, Luciana Buchanan, who plays a woman named Rose. Peter's an FBI agent who works in the basement of the White House in a small windowless room that has a phone in it that never rings until... One day it does, so the phone that never rings suddenly rings. It's this frantic lady. We've just seen what has her frantic. She was visiting her aunt and uncle when suddenly two assassins showed up and killed them. Rose got away. The last thing her uncle said was, call this number, which is how she ended up ringing Peter's phone. And the two of them soon find themselves in the middle of some sort of conspiracy that neither of them understand. It all takes place over a few days, mostly around Washington, D.C. It's a spy thriller type show, sort of like a poor man's Jack Ryan, only in that He's not a name-brand lead character like Jack Ryan. And the show ended up being better than I was expecting. It's 10 episodes, all about an hour long, and it earns all its episodes. It does not get bogged down in the middle like so many other Netflix shows that we've complained about for years and years now. And each episode kind of ends with either a cliffhanger or a revelation or a big reveal. And again, these things feel earned, not like they're only there to keep you, to keep you watching, even though literally that is probably the reason they were there. Uh, just in general, the story unravels in a very satisfying manner. I thought there were enough twists and turns along the way you couldn't get ahead of the story altogether. But again, they also felt natural and not gimmicky. The plot was also kind of just the right amount of complicated. There's a lot of stuff going on, but not so much that you're just baffled by it, except for the times when they do want you to be baffled by it for a little bit. So if you do find yourself confused while you're watching it, don't worry. It won't be for too long. They, they explain everything. They don't uh, introduce something in you know episode one and keep you guessing for nine more episodes kind of thing. Um, frankly, the only complaint I have is that the main guy is a little dull. Not the actor's fault, just the writing. It's such a plot-driven thing that they kind of forgot to make the main guy interesting, I guess. Uh, a couple of the other characters can be dull at times, too, or in some cases, I think it might be the acting that's bad. But the storytelling is good enough to keep you going, I thought. If you haven't seen it yet and you like spy thriller shows and movies, I would say put Netflix's The Night Agent on your list. All right. I've been meaning to take a peek at that, but I keep getting distracted like the four movies that I watched this week <laughs> that I will tell you about. And we will follow up on that identity theft comment in a moment. And it actually somewhat ties in with what Jeff also rewatched this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and we watched some other movies this week. I actually went back to the theaters to see John Wick 4 for the second time. 
going to need a gun. I wasn't planning on seeing it again in theaters, but then on a Easter Sunday, suddenly a couple of my buddies decided they were going, so I went along. And you know what? Still awesome. I don't have much else to add since the first time we reviewed it a couple of weeks ago. The beginning is a little bit slower on rewatch. Uh, just kind of takes too long for the first real bonkers action scene to happen. One really cool thing I did realize was all the foreshadowing with stairs. There's a big fight on some stairs at one point in the movie, and all through the movie, there are a lot of shots focused on staircases. Didn't notice that the first time around because didn't really know where the story was going. So uh, that was kind of cool. A bit more artistic flair than I would have thought the John Wick movie would actually have. My friends love the movie, too. Other people I know, uh, a lot. Of, I've known more people that saw it this week than the week it came out for some reason. I think the long weekend had a lot to do with that over Easter. And everyone, of course, said they loved it as well. And our preliminary rankings still stand. I still like the second one best, followed by the first one, then this new one. And finally, the third one. But again, they've been amazingly consistent. The differential between those four movies is very minimal. Uh, they're all just great. So John Wick 4, take two, was awesome. I do need to see that one again on the big screen before it disappears. But in the meantime, this past weekend, as I have taken to the last few months, I'm trying to just watch mo movies on Fridays and Saturday nights. Just either, either new ones or or just revisit some favorites. And this is one I never did get around to seeing this one in theaters. It landed on Crave on April 1st, so I finally got around to seeing Jurassic World Dominion. If our world's going to survive, what matters is what we do now. I can use your expertise. You coming or what? A baby raptor? I made a promise we would bring her home. You made a promise to a dinosaur. Yeah. What? Normally I'd be annoyed with someone saying dinosaur, <laughs> but it's Jeff Goldblum, so I'll let it slide because he's awesome. And uh, I'm going to let it slide that this is a silly movie because in spite of much of the stupidity here, I still did enjoy it and I had fun. Can't remember, Jeff. Did you go see this in theater? Yeah, I saw it in theater and I liked it and it got dragged by uh, proper critics, but I was just like, I don't get it. Why is everybody pooping on this movie so hard? I thought it was, I just thought it was fun like it's supposed to be. The last one, the fifth one really sucks. So I thought this was a big step up. And even though it is silly, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, there, and here are some of the dumb things that, that happen in this movie. And I guess this is walking into spoiler territory if you've never seen it. But there's a scene where they're in this big plane. Uh, it's a, like a cargo slash military kind of plane. And the plane's going down or it's a, it looks like it's going down. So the Bryce Dallas Howard is she's in the, the back past like the the rear passenger seat she's behind the pilot who's a new character in this one and then chris pratt is in the front right seat and for so they say well there's only one ejector seat and it's the one that you're in bryce dallas howard and the first thing i'm thinking is and this is right after the pilot says <laughs> i don't have any other parachutes because i wasn't expecting to fly with anybody else so if you if you're not expecting to fly anybody else why would the ejector seat be behind you yeah that's like, weird why would it not be in your seat so that was just stupid. And then the whole point of her ejecting was so that she could get out and go rescue this kid. And then they the plane crashes. And I guess it, because they survived, then they went after her. The idea was that if she's the only one who gets out. But it just seems stupid to separate them and then just bring them back together to have all these dumb little adventures. But whatever. And then we got to see some really creepy new bird, giant bird dinosaur with dinosaur with like... <laughs> With like, I, I don't. The claws Fingers? were like, oh. yeah. What were those? They're like, they know. looked like feathers. 
that just happened to be like claws. Ever since probably the second one. The third one had the Spinosaurus, and I don't know if that's a real dinosaur or not. Yeah. But I, I've ever since then, I was like, Spinosaurus, that can't be real. That sounds like Hollywood made that name up. So I've just been assuming that they're just, at this point, inventing dinosaurs, yeah. both by names and making them look however they want, just for their own fun. So I'm not, I don't know about dinosaurs in real life outside of Brontosaurus and Stegosaurus, <laughs> the main five ones that you learned as a kid kind of thing. So yeah, that does weird to me too and I often think I wonder if that's real or not it probably isn't and I'll also I, I I just started laughing because there's the there are these giant locusts in this movie and it's pretty scary to think about a swarm of giant locusts that are like like two feet big or whatever and um I wonder how they, they when they were sitting around in the writer room thinking, you know what would be even scarier than giant locusts? Flaming giant locusts. <laughs> and when that when you see the scene, it's funny, but it's cool. Like it it's genuinely cool and horrifying, but it's also kind of funny because it just seems so potentially impossible. But the whole thing is impossible, so that's why I just kind of said, you know what? It's just a movie about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Just enjoy it. So I'd give it a generous three couch cushions out of five. I also rewatched, well, I don't have time to play the audio here, but from 2011, from 2015, and from 2018, Missions Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. Yeah. And when I told Jeff I watched Jurassic World Dominion and these three Mission Impossible movies, that's when you asked the question. Are you stealing my identity, Brett? And then I said, well, hang on. <laughs> You're now the John Wick guy. Uh, I used to be the John Wick guy. So and? We, we kind of swapped out. Fast and the Furious as well. Yeah, sort of. I, I, I started that with Fast Five. But uh, yeah, you're, yes, your, your transformation on uh, Vin Diesel was uh, quite <laughs> extraordinary. But yeah, these movies are still fantastic. 20, Ghost Protocol, I can't, A, 2011 already? I know. What That's the hell? 13, 12 years ago. I would say that. I don't think that movie was quite as exciting as I remember, but I saw that on the big screen and it was the first movie I'd ever seen in uh, with a digital projector on a big screen. So that was exciting. And seeing the the Dubai scene, the bridge yep. Dubai scene was crazy. But um, all three of them, were, they're just such excellent movies. Fallout in particular, the, the action in that is so extraordinary. And then the next movie, Dead Reckoning, which comes out July 14th, there's a feature on YouTube about the motorcycle stunt because you see in the trailer he, he rides the bike off this cliff and then goes into a dive. And the work they put in, they had they, the ramp they had to build, he did like 500 skydive jumps and 13,000 motocross jumps or something. Like, oh my God. Yeah, he put his training in. So find that feature, and then when you see the stunt on the big screen, you're going to love it even more. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.